All right, and we want to welcome you back to Testimony Tuesday. I am very pleased to welcome in one of my best friends in the kingdom, uh, someone who most of you should know, our listeners, and uh, a great preacher and uh, someone who has been laboring uh, for the Lord in his field for several years now. We're going to hear his story today, and I hope that you are going to be inspired by it. It is Pastor Robert Michaels. Welcome to Testimony Tuesday on the VVPH Sermon Podcast. Hey, thanks, Adam. Really appreciate it. Um, super honored to, to come on. I, <laughs> well, I love I love what you're doing. Well, we uh, we love making this product for people because I keep hearing great feedback from people that it's uh, it's encouraging and it's helpful. And by the way, uh, we just dropped in a six hundred and fifty dollar uh, check for World Evangelism on Thursday night. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Uh, how can people support your uh, program? Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> uh, there are links in the show notes where you can subscribe uh, to our podcast via Supercast. Um, that's only three bucks a month, and you get a sermon or an interview every single day of the week. Can you believe that? Oh, my um, word. You can also uh, sign up for four ninety nine a month if you want to pay a, a couple extra bucks through the Apple Podcast platform. Uh, we actually have more subscribers there because it's just so darn convenient to hit that subscribe button inside the Apple Podcast app. Um, otherwise, you can uh, you can just listen to our free episodes, which are released uh, three times, uh, four times a week, that is, and they are supported by ads. So uh, if you want to continue listening to the ads and pay nothing, uh, then that we make that available to you as well. But to get to the main event of this episode, it is uh, it is a great, amazing privilege to have Pastor Michaels here with us. And um, it was really cool to see you during the conference last week, as always, and to get together with you and talk for a little while. But uh, just for those who maybe don't know you and your story, give us the, the short version of, uh, of who you are and, and where you're at, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll learn about your testimony. That's awesome. Um, so let me just first say that uh, uh, thanks. It means the world to me to, to be able to, to come and do something for, for, uh, for God at all. Uh, I shouldn't be here, but check this out. September 26th um, was my 20th year. I got saved in uh, on a Wednesday night service in uh, in the Chandler Church, September 26th, 2001. Wow. I believe that. So, yeah, 20 years. Uh, I've been pastoring now for uh, 14 years, which is mind-boggling to me. Um, and I'm here in San Diego, and we've been here pioneering so, yeah, 14 years. So my son was born and we literally left Chandler. As soon as he was done, uh, kind of, uh, getting cleaned up, they, they wiped him off and they stuck him in a car seat <laughs> and we drove right over here. So glory to God. Um, yeah. So I got saved out of some pretty, uh, trying times in my life. I'll just say made a lot of mistakes. Um, I, I started off like, um, many kids, testing waters, you know, uh, 41 years ago, uh, born in, in the first couple of, of days of, uh, 1980. And then, uh, about 12 years old, started dabbling around with cigarettes and, and even, uh, tested marijuana. And, um, it didn't take long for, they call it a gateway drug. And it's, that's a legit statement when you call some of these drugs, gateway drugs. 
and and maybe by the age of uh, 17, 18, I'd pretty much tried everything except for maybe heroin or um, no needle drugs, but uh, just messed around with with way too much, way way too much partying, way too much fun. And um, there came a place where my bad decisions overwhelmed my um, my my need to just go to work, make some money, and pay my bills and do what I need to do. And I found myself in a position where I was hooked on drugs and missed enough work that uh, I'm pretty sure I got fired. And I ended up in a a really bad addiction to crack cocaine. And so if you, you probably heard this, these stories before from other people, but my, my testimony is uh, like the same gave all of my belongings over to uh, the dope man, you know, uh, late nights trying to figure out how I can stay high and, and um, just did not care about anything other than chasing this high. And so uh, there came a time, there came an, an evening when I was pretty uh, wore out and strung out and, and had been sleeping in um, in a field. Actually, my, my truck was uh, taken away by the police and then the truck was impounded and all that uh, for something that I was involved in. And then um, it didn't take long. I, I called my mom and, and uh, I, I haven't shared this story with everyone. I, I don't typically go this deep into my testimony, but figure it's uh fitting for the only for the a few podcast. hundred of our listeners will hear it yeah yeah <laughs> i i called my mom and uh i said mom you know i, I really like to uh i need to come home and and uh i remember this very vividly because this is when pay phones were the the thing you know i, I had a, a pager and and uh, you had to have some change and it was right when they changed the pay phones to 50 cents of a phone call and uh, I had walked through this field. My my feet were soaking wet. And my pants were soaking wet up to about my knee, and my knees. And uh, so I'm 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 on the payphone. I'm, I'm freezing cold. And I call my mom. And I I had ran out of money, ran out of drugs. I had no uh, no place to stay. And I was like, gosh, man, it's getting cold. And uh, this would have been November. And I I called my my mom. Said I need to come home. And she made the very hard decision to tell me no. She said no. Uh, you can't. You need to get some help. You. I don't, I don't need you coming over here. And um, that was justifiable because I had stayed with her maybe a month before that. And I stole her change jar when she was at work and I took it and I bought drugs. So you can understand she was justified to tell me, no, you can't come home. She's probably worried about other stuff that I would take. And uh, so I processed that as no one in the entire world cares about me. And not even my own mom. I'm going to go. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't imagine what that would feel like to have even your own mother say, uh, you can't come over here. Yeah. And so I made the uh, decision in my mind. I told my mom, I said, well, look, I've got belongings at your house. And I was, you know, just low key trying to get her to uh, break because I'd, I'd always been able to kind of manipulate my mom and do whatever I wanted. And uh, it wasn't working this time. And I said, okay, well, I've got a backpack with some clothes and my pants are wet and I'm freezing cold. And I just kind of worked her uh, a little bit to bring me my stuff. Well, she, she ended up bringing my, uh, my backpack and belongings probably eight or nine at night. And she showed up to this random spot in South Phoenix. And, and I know that was probably terrifying for her. Um, 
to to come and do that but she dropped it off and i said okay i'll see you later and i you know just kind of stormed off that night uh i was going to commit suicide and uh, my instincts were, I'm, I'm going to go out with a bang. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm done with this life. And I, I went and I found this, it was a, a truck uh, that had the keys and it. it was on a construction site, it had a very large flatbed on the back and it had a welder on it. And uh, so I it had pretty much a full tank of gas. I drove it to the fence uh, where it was kind of inside of a cage and, um, I drove to the fence and then I just used the truck to kind of push the fence until the uh, lock broke or the chain broke, whatever broke. I'm not sure. And then I just started driving around and um, I, I, for whatever reason decided, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go do something to get some money so that I can get high one more time before I, you know, take myself out. And uh, I had this little side hustle that I, that I would do. And I, I took these uh, diesel truck tires and I had a guy, I'd lied to him and I told him that my dad owned a tire shop and I would go and take these retread tires that are worth a fortune. And um, I would basically take them and I would sell them to this guy for really cheap. And he had cash and he didn't care what time of the night it was. I would come and I'd say, hey, my dad sent me over. This guy got a really good deal on tires and I would have three or four of these things. Now, you could, I could take these tires during the day. I had a little white pickup truck when I didn't, when it wasn't taken and um, there was no issues. I would give them a fake PO number and they would just load up the tires for me. And I would literally drive right to the guy's house and they, they never caught on to me uh, that way. Uh, But this was nighttime. So now I'm going to go and take my chances in stealing a tire so I can go and get high and um obviously people are on high alert at night and they have security and uh there was somebody yelled right when i loaded the first tire up and i'm like oh man i'm only gonna get one tire and that's 50 bucks and i'm like oh dang it and so i throw the uh throw the truck in gear and i start to drive in this diesel with no rig on the back or no trailer i guess you would say uh started chasing me and i followed me around and he was obviously on the radio with the police we're talking like 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, maybe later. And uh, he chased me into the parking lot of a uh, circle K. And right when I got into the, into the corner, I kind of uh, stopped. I knew that he was following me and I, I kind of jumped out halfway out of the truck, put my foot on the ground and I yelled at him and I said, don't be a hero, uh, some vulgarities and then um, threatened him. And I, I just told him if, if you keep following me, I'm going to kill you. And then um, he, um, he just sat there on the radio. He never got out of his truck, kept his windows rolled up and his doors locked. And then I just took that truck and rammed his diesel. And so that was my first charge, uh, aggravated assault, uh, on a civilian. That was a, a class three felony because I used a weapon, uh, or a vehicles, a weapon. And then, uh, wasn't about maybe, I don't know, 45 seconds later that, uh, there was a, a, the first police car that, uh, was on the call. And so how old were you when all this happened? Uh, so I was 20. Yeah. So man. Okay. Yeah. 20 years old. So why, why 2k was a bust and we're November uh, of 2000. Okay. So how does this story, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of ways this can go. Yeah. So I, 
and and I I hope you uh, don't mind. How how long is this podcast? Anyways, I know, I know as long as you need it. Okay. We can go Joe Rogan style. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just I don't want to go uh, too long, but I'll I'll uh, I'll shorten it up here. So, uh, you can I mean you probably feel it just hearing this story. It it is it is ramped up as high as it can possibly be. Um, now I have police chasing me. So I'm driving, uh, I drive out of that Circle K parking lot and I head down a couple streets and I end up, and, and you got to keep in mind, this is an industrial area. There's a lot of fields and things out there. Um, not a whole lot of neighborhoods. So that's a good thing. There's barely any traffic because it's late enough at night, but I made a, a grave mistake and I drove down a street that was a dead end. And so now I have a, that police officers following me. And the truck was kind of a beater, it, you know, really couldn't get up to speed very fast. And I end up at the end of the cul-de-sac or the end of the dirt road, if you will. And I turn around where everybody would normally turn around. And uh, I faced that police car in the middle of the road. And so uh, for a moment, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, if I can get this truck up to speed enough, uh, I'm going to just smash right into him head on and, um, you know, maybe this will be how I go out. And uh, that's not how it went down. Uh, I right at the last second, pulled the pulled the the uh, wheel to the right and, and dodged him. Uh, I found out later on in the discovery clause, uh, or the disco- discovery paperwork, uh, that uh, he actually dove out of the car on the passenger side, because he saw he anticipated me uh, ramming him. And so that was my first aggravated assault on a police officer uh, with a deadly weapon. And that was a class two felony. And then, um, so I kept driving, but now uh, it turns into a 22 minute chase cars uh, all over the place, just absolutely everywhere you turned. It was like, they knew where I was going. They were anticipating my every move. And it was, it was actually very interesting. Now, I had uh, at that point, I I can't remember exactly how it went down, but um, while so while I'm running from the police, I I still had a crack pipe in and I was smoking the crack pipe while I was driving in the police chase. <laughs> oh my gosh! So just wrap your mind around uh, how insane I was. Uh, I get I get to the place where I'm back now in these kind of windy dirt roads on the construction site where I took the truck originally. And I had planned on maybe ditching it in there and going on running off on foot into this, uh, into this area nearby. And um, I ended up uh, crossing through this area where there was a lot of mud uh, kind of washed into the corner where they would drive these trucks back and forth on the dirt road and they would water the road over and over again, because they were keeping the dust down. But the mud splashed on my windshield, I couldn't see. And so I was driving on this dirt road. And in the middle of the dirt road, it kind of does this, uh, you know, Wiley Coyote thing, and it goes around a telephone pole that's in the middle, and it's protected by those freeway barricades. And I didn't see it because I was my windshield was totally mud and um, windshield wipers didn't do anything. It just smeared it. And so I was kind of hanging out of the window halfway and just kind of looking at the side of the road. And everywhere you look, you know, the, 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 the trees and everything are lit up, you know, with the red and blues. And in my mind, uh, I'm like, I'm going to get away. I've done it before. 
this is this is going to be just like the other times and in a flash uh probably going about maybe 40 45 miles an hour i hit that that uh, pillar and that and the the pole it's a large pole uh hit that pole and uh lights out so i lights out meaning unconscious okay you're gone yeah i crashed hard hard uh i came to the engines on my lap okay and i have the steering wheel just shoved into my chest i've got the seat the cushions are all kind of out of whack there's you know the the springs are kind of poking out and I've got just this overwhelming radiator smell and like electronic smell and, and whatever else was on fire or something in there. And it just instantaneous, just boom. And uh, the the odd thing is, is that the truck was, it sounded like it was still running somehow. And um, I just smashed into that thing. I, I squeezed out somehow and I was miraculously uh, just bumps and bruises. And I, I think it has to do with, you know, like a, a limber driver who's a drunk driver will usually survive because he, he wasn't anticipating the crash. Had I known that I was going to hit that pole, I, pre- I probably would have broke some stuff. And um, so I kind of wiggled my way out. And now I have half the Phoenix police department are around me and I take off running down into this uh, wash out where they wash out the uh, cement truck. So that's, that's what this. So you were, you were able to get out of there before they, before they could get to you. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, I mean, if you can picture it, it's just like the movies you, you would imagine that these cop cars were, they were chasing me, but even at the, like the, the last second, uh, you know, I kind of do the, like the tiptoe, uh, stop on a dime and he skirts right in front of me, like, uh, uh, passes me hitting the brakes, all four wheels kind of locked up and skidding. Um, and then I run behind the, the, the police car. And anyways, I, I took off into these bushes and the, uh, the bushes were actually just giant, um, um, tumbleweeds. And I think what they would do is they would take a tractor and they would just kind of push these tumbleweeds, uh, off into the, uh, nether knowns. And what I did is I ran into them and then I kind of, I broke through, you know, 20, 30, 40 feet, uh, into the bushes, but then I just, I couldn't run anymore. I'd already ran, uh, I don't know, a quarter of a mile and I was exhausted. And I thought that I was going to be okay. And so I, I laid in those bushes, just, uh, deep breaths, trying to just catch my breath. And, and my heart is just pounding. Uh, my blood is just it feels like I've got acid in my body and just, I mean, it was bad. And I'm just laying there trying to be as quiet as I possibly can. And any kind of movement would make a crackling noise because of those, those bushes. And um, I just kind of laid there and it, it seemed like for a, in an eternity, but it was probably realistically about five minutes that um, they were looking for me. And then all of a sudden I see lights and um, they're kind of breaking through the bushes and all of a sudden they see me and I hear him say, don't move. And uh, I, I lift my hands, I tell him, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And I just put my hands up and I walk, he's there like, walk towards us, come towards the light. And I'm, and I'm walking towards uh, their flashlights and then just out of nowhere, I get just decked, full on decked. Now, right here, I have to preface um i've shared my testimony a few times and some some of the 
uh, I deserved a punch in the face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want people to think of like a defund. Uh, no, I, I deserved a punch in the face. And, uh, you know, so he decked me and um, I think I took it. I, I didn't go down. I, I did like kind of, um, you know, stumble backwards and, and uh, fall. But anyways, they dragged me up the hill. They shoved me in the back of the squad car handcuffed. And I'm sitting in the back of the car and I'm listening to them all talk. And some of their, their, at first they're kind of, it was kind of somber and they're like, oh my gosh. And they're like, they had this mud, this white uh, cement muck that they had all just ran through. All the guys that ran down there had it all over them. And the ones, some of them had fallen in it. And so some of these guys were really mad and justifiably so. And um, so I can hear them all talk and some of them are laughing and I'm just sitting in the back of the squad car like, dang it can't believe this. I got caught, you know, this sucks. And, um, I, uh, being the escape artist that I am, I got out of my handcuffs or one of them. And, what? um, yeah. And so I get my handcuff off and, you know, I'd been sitting there for about 10 minutes maybe. And, um, I get my shoelace out of my shoe and I said, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm going to hang myself here in the back of the squad car. And so I, take my shoelace out. I hang it up on this little hook that's in the back seat for uh, whatever that little hook is for. And I put it, I lean my body over towards that side of the seat. I slumped my body weight down into the seat and let that noose just cinch up on my neck really, really tight. I mean, like painfully tight. And I felt my life uh, kind of slip. You know, they say your life flashes before you. Uh, it literally does. And um, I felt literally, I watched my life just flash before me. I, I mean, rapid fire, little clips of everything from time that I went fishing with, with my dad and my brother and opening presents on Christmas, celebrating Thanksgiving together with family and, uh, you know, climbing up on the roof and jumping our bikes and skating through the neighborhood and all these things all the way up until this point. And the only thing that I can say is that I heard a yell and I think it was from, from heaven. Okay. I want to pause right there and I want to dig a little deeper into some of those scenes that you saw. I, I'd like yeah. to know a little bit more about your, your family background and what, what was it like for you to, to grow up and how, how did it go from that to where you found yourself there in the back of that car? Yeah. Uh, so my, my, my upbringing was good. Um, I've heard some stories about some really bad parenting and really bad situations. And mine, mine is not that, uh, there is no, you know, we had things, my dad is a man's man, uh, hunting, fishing, uh, suntans for girls, uh, suntan lotion or, or sunscreen is for girls. Uh, you know, just being a man. I remember at one point, my dad, um, organized a, a fight. And, and we had horses we had a little, uh, little ranch and, and he, uh, used a horse pen for these two neighbors to box. And I think they were betting and, um, you know, it was just the, the dream for being a boy is having a dad who's just super cool. Um, by the age of about 15 or 16, I had you know, already experimenting with some drugs and stuff, but my dad really didn't care if I, if I drank beer. Uh, my mom was very passive. Um, I could 
manipulate her to kind of just do whatever I wanted uh, for the most part. If, as do long you have as brothers she, and sisters? Yes, I have a brother. Uh, his name's Ryan. Yeah, I believe in God for him. Um, Older or younger? He's younger. Yeah. He's okay. younger. Yeah. And you grew up in the Phoenix area? So, yeah, I grew up in North Phoenix. It's called the Square. Um, there, We were kind of in between bad neighborhoods, I guess you could say. Um, the fact that we had horse privileges, we had an acre. It was my grandpa's property, and my dad rented it for my grandpa. And uh, it wasn't like a horrible neighborhood, but going back, like I've gone back to visit a couple of times, and I'm, I, I just look back and think, yeah, that my house was really small. I mean, it was like a tiniest little thing. And when I was a kid, it, it was just like, yeah, that's my house. But um, yeah. Okay. And what about a spiritual background? Like, do you remember yeah. going to church at all? Yes. So great question. There was a, a church on the hills, the Assemblies of God. It was Tommy Barnett's church uh, up on the hill. That, well, the big one, right? Yes, you got it. And that was literally at the bottom. I, I lived at the bottom of the hill for where that church is. And uh, I think it's called the Dream Center now or something like that. But uh, we would go up there. A lot of times they'd have events up there. And um, we would obviously, when they were closed, I would go and skate there. And I have to apologize to uh, Tommy uh, Barnett about taking. Oh, because uh, yeah, I'm sure he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I took uh, some wax and I put it on this curb and we would skate, uh, skate on the curb. And so it made it really dirty, but it was a great place to skate. Um, when it was super hot, we would go inside the church and actually we we play hide and go seek in there when we were little, you know, 12, 13, 14, prop a door open. And then we would go in when everybody left. And, uh, and as I got older, I would chase girls up there once in a while, try to, you know, find a, find a good wife and, uh, uh, never really got too much out of it, but I will say this, uh, they had a really nice basketball gym. And I remember they said that they were going to have this event with, uh, Charles Barkley dream camp. And I figured out a way to get into that event. I just lied, told them my name was uh, something that I, I saw a, a name on the list. And I just said, you know, at first I said, Michaels. And she goes, okay, uh, Michaels, Michaels, Michaels. And she goes down the list and she goes, McAllister. And I'm like, yeah, McAllister, whatever it was. I can't remember. <laughs> and uh, she put the wristband on me. It was for three days. And somewhere in there, there was some preaching mingled in. And uh, I do remember responding to an altar call. And, and and actually uh, feeling the presence of God for the first time um, at an altar. Now, but keep in mind, um, I know nothing spiritual. As a matter of fact, uh, my dad told me, don't go to that church, boy. They just want your money. And um, so that, that, was a, that voice was always in the back of my head when I was – anything that was organized church, it was going to be because you know, they, they need money for me. And um, – so I, I did have some church. I was uh, raised Catholic and we went to church, uh, I would say a total of about eight times in my entire childhood. So I wasn't really a Catholic, but uh, raised Catholic. Uh, we did a first communion, all that stuff, baptism. I think they sprinkled some water on me at one point. Um, but, you know, good family, man. Good, good. Uh, me and my brother got along really good. Uh, for the most part, we'd we'll run around and, and terrorize the neighborhood together. Uh, every once in a while, we'd turn on each other and beat each other. But <laughs> so you, uh, this basketball camp. How old were you when you kind of had that first spark oh, of spirituality? 
I'm going to say that was probably 12 years old. Yeah, I'll say, I'll, I'll say 12. It's amazing how often I hear, I, I mean, it was the same for me. I was probably a 13 when I really understood the gospel for the first time. I didn't get saved at that time, but at least, you know, I heard the gospel and understood it for the first time. So I'm always amazed how God kind of begins to draw you at a certain time when you're open to it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, but, he's um, ultra gracious. Um, I would play basketball in their gym and they have a really nice facility. And I would be cussing. And every once in a while, there was this lady that worked at the counter. She would come out and she would say, who's, who's saying bad words out here? And nobody would say anything. And she knew it was me. And she would kind of look my way and she would, she would say, you really need to watch your mouth. And I bet you uh, she, was, she went in the other room and prayed, God, I pray, make him a pastor. <laughs> so he has to deal with people just like yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you um so usually what I hear is you got um uh wrapped up in a bad crowd which led to parties and drugs and stuff like that but uh I'd love to hear, you know, how you got kind of on the wrong path. Yeah, I would argue that I am the bad kid that your parents warned you about. <laughs> Uh, there, there was a, it's funny. I'm, I'm actually writing a book. Um, it's, it's a day in the life of a sinner. And it, uh, in the beginning, I open up with this encounter that I had with a kid from my school and we're, we're 12 years old. Uh, and he stole some marijuana from his, from his, uh, older siblings and we smoked weed. And, um, so very young messing around. I would argue he was kind of like the beginning of evil influence. Um, it was a really big deal when you were a kid to spend the night. Oh, can, can I spend the night? Can you spend the night at my house? Uh, spend the right, night, spend right. the night. And why? Because we wanted to sneak out in the middle of the night and just go and, and test our limit. Uh, but um, yeah, nevertheless, it ended up being uh, uh more, more of me influencing. I think, I think me and my brother uh, had, had an influence on the neighborhood. Uh, I would argue that there was worse kids. I'll say that. Sure. Well, you can always find somebody worse to point yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Rob, I, because I know you pretty well, I know that yeah. you are a funny guy. You, you uh, can be a clown. Were you, you always kind of a class clown growing up? Uh, you know, I, that's a good question. I don't think, I don't think anyone thought I was funny when I was young. Uh, I, I was, I'm pretty, I would say back in the day, my, my brain was undeveloped kind of, uh, kind of a dummy. Uh, I, I could, I, I was there for the fun and, uh, but I, I think I was more mocked. I was a little guy. Uh, I went into high school and I was only five foot three. And I weighed about 110 pounds. So uh, freshman year, sophomore, junior year, I was a tiny little guy. It wasn't until I was probably, I don't know, 30 that I could, uh, that I could even grow a mustache. And that, <laughs> even that, I still don't think it's very good. I remember the conference. Yeah. <laughs> you showed up with a mustache. It was, it was quite a feat. It's it's odd that uh, that was the highlight of that conference, but uh, yeah, three different pastors mentioned it. That was disturbing, actually. It was. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so bring us back to the back of that squad car. So, yeah. Your life is flashing before your eyes. You almost died trying to kill yourself with yeah. a shoestring. I say that. That's uh, that's that's pretty, um, uh, gosh, what do you say? I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's been through something like that. So what happens next? So I, the, the best way I can describe it is uh, just a, a loud voice uh, that it, that is actually... Uh, not, not that you hear it, but that you feel it. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, it was a loud voice saying, stop. It, and and I, I don't even know that it was the word stop, but it was like, don't stop and get just do not do this right now with at the top of spiritual lungs. And, uh, I, I don't know what it was. Just, I reached up kind of like uh, anxious to stop what I was doing to make this right. Like, Whoa, what am I doing? And I grabbed the shoestring and kind of pulled. And I was, I mean, I'd been up for a couple of days at that point using drugs. I know that I was, it was still pumping through my veins, but I literally felt I was as sober as when I was a, a nine-year-old kid. And, um, pulled the shoestring off with both hands. Uh, it it kind of hung up. It was like, it was, it, it was almost like it had taken over and it was going to kill me no matter what. And um, I was able to get my fingers in there and pull it uh, loose. And um, it was, it was like, Whoa, you, you really almost just killed yourself. And um, I'm, I'm hearing the, the police officers voices again, and they're talking and, and, uh, you know, kind of bantering around. And then I heard, uh, the, um, the soup soup is here. The soup's here. And th that, uh, meant the supervisor was pulling up and, and that guy had showed up and, you know, this is late at night. So he was probably at home. And again, a, another person I knew apologized to, uh, he had to come and deal with my nonsense. And so, uh, they open the door, they start talking to me and they're asking me questions and, and, uh, uh, so were they unaware that, that there was a suicide attempt in the back of their car? They had no idea. Yeah, they had no idea. Yeah, uh, they were just glad to have their guy. I was like the dog. You just throw him in a kennel and it's good. You're good to go. So the supervisor comes to me and, and I'm looking back. I, I know why the supervisor had to come and talk to me because he was wanting me to admit guilt and make it easier for court proceeding, proceedings. proceedings. And um, I, he also, uh, my face was bruised and battered because they were punching me uh while I was even while I was handcuffed they were dragging me up the hill and every once in a while I would take a punch from behind and they would like cup their hand and have a handful of dirt and they would shove it in my mouth and then, I mean it was just it was bad they were they were really mad at me and mm. uh so the first thing the first question out of the the uh, supervisor's mouth and he goes what happened to your face and I'm like I just looked at him like I, and I wanted to say, well, your guys freaking punched me. Right. <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, and that, you know, that, that I, I processed what was happening and I, I had a little street smarts and I said, I fell. And he goes, what happened to your forehead right there? Your eye socket. What happened to your eye there? Your ear? Uh, I said, it, I fell. And, uh, every time he would ask me something, I would just divert. And, and he's like, okay. And uh, he starts, you know, writing down all this stuff and, and uh, reads my Miranda rights and, and tells me, okay, uh, here's what's going to happen. This, this uh, gentleman is going to take you to jail and um, 
uh, blah, blah, blah. And so very sober, just kind of 20 minute ride to uh, county jail. Uh, in my mind, I said, you know, if it gets bad enough, I'll just, I'll kill myself in jail, whatever. Let's just, let's just go for the ride and see what happens. So I, I, I get processed. There's, um, you know, I, 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 I get my charges. I get this piece of paper that holds my charges. And in jail, there's some interesting things that happen to you. When you take your paperwork in with you, you've got to, you got your sleeping bag, your, or, or I'm sorry, your sleeping mat with your covers and maybe a, a box with some pencils and some envelopes and some uh, your paperwork. And uh, they put your paper on top of your little box. And then they, you kind of hug everything and you go walking into your, into the, into the jail where general population is normally that's, that's how that goes. And um, so I'm walking in and uh, I I'm standing at the glass door. I hear the buzzer, they open the door and I walk in and it's a bunch of inmates and everybody's kind of doing their thing. Some guys are working out, some guys, you know, pushups and some guys are playing cards and kind of a musty, weird smell. And I walk in and uh, this guy approaches me and says, Hey, what's up? And I said, Hey, how you doing? And he goes, uh, what? Uh, he goes, do you have your papers? And I was like, what papers? And he goes, your court papers. And I said, oh yeah, right here. And I hand it to him. And uh, he's like, hey, this guy over here uh, is going to teach you how to make your bed. And I was like, what the heck? That's weird. All right, whatever. Pretty sure I can make like, my own it's bed. It's like being recruited to the military. It, it's a lot. You know, it's funny you say that. I've associated with what I went through in jail as something you would go through. But the guy comes, he takes my paperwork. He looks at it and he goes, listen. He goes, dude, you're going to do about 15 years. Do you know that? You have any other charges? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I have, I did have a possession in a a minor with a possession of alcohol and a, in a, a curfew violation. And I started like kind of just remembering some of my other charges. He goes, bro, yeah, you're, you're going to do some time on this one, buddy. And uh, I'm like, oh man, yeah, I had a feeling. He's like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I told him what I did, ran from the cops. And uh, he's like, well, I'm the head of the whites. Uh, this, this, is, this is how our pods ran. And he, you know, rambled off some of the rules. And he's like, just, you know, don't be stupid. And, and, uh, and uh, if, if, it, if riots break out, you roll with the white boys. We have your back. You have our back. That's just how it is. And, um, you know, some racial stuff that they try to impose on you. And then, and then uh, I go to my room and this guy comes in, he shows me how to, this little trick that you can do making your bed with, uh, you take one of these little pencils, these little short golf pencils, and you can make your bed really nice. And uh, so he showed me how to do that. And he's like, you know, this is how white boys make their bed, and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, I'm like, thanks. And I went to sleep for like a month, literally. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, I would just wake up to eat. And then I, you know, go to the bathroom, take a shower, whatever, brush my teeth every once in a while. And then I would just literally just go back to bed. Uh, coming off. Is this season. Joe Arpaio's tent city? It is, but I was inside for the first part because uh, before I got sentenced, I was considered for flight risk. And they put me in with the medium, uh, they call them uh, medium maximum. So it's, it's, it's not the maximum downtown. It's the Durango is the jail. And, um, so at least you got air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I moved into to D5? No, D4 first. 
Um, and um, that's, um, that's a pod with four quadrants and each pod has about 80 guys. And so uh, do some math there and figure out how many pe- people are on average are eight. So 80 people in these pods, there's all these little rooms. And um, I, I do my time fighting, uh, working out. I got healthy. Uh, you know, uh, every once in a while you'd have something that would happen where, uh, you know, you have somebody who was a convicted, uh, child molester or, or a wife beater, and they would come in and you'd check their paperwork and then it'd be like, Oh, okay, well, uh, let me first show you where the bathroom is. And then you, as soon as they get in the bathroom, you just beat them. And then, um, there was a certain amount of, um, uh, say camaraderie, you you make friends with some of these people, they become like family because you see them every day. You're with them all day and you can play, learn how to play cards. Uh, and um, I got to the place while I was in jail that uh, I actually was looking at the Bible. I uh, I did uh, 15 days in solitary confinement. I did a total of 30 days in solitary confinement, but when you got nothing to do, they'll, the only thing that they'll give you is a Bible. And I don't know if that's the same today. Maybe one of your listeners that's been in jail recently will know if there's still Bibles allowed in there. Uh, but um, I got um, I got released. Funny yeah, story. Yeah, I was, I was gonna I was gonna say um, this. It wasn't too much longer after this that I I met you. So that's you, right. You didn't spend 15 years uh, yeah. in jail. Yeah. So uh, you know what I I this well no in heaven I guess. But I, I think, um, obviously God had his hand in this, but I, I did pray in, in jail. Um, I remember after reading the Bible a couple of times and they, they, this group of guys, which are just a, a hodgepodge of some really gnarly people, um, all the guys that I was in there with, except for just a couple were, had already did a bunch of prison time and they were getting ready to go back. And so they, the, the jail, the part where I was in D4 and D5, I was actually, it was actually really organized and, um, you know, for a, for a jail it was pleasant compared to my post sense sentencing, uh, stay. I ended up staying after I went to, uh, went to the hole, they put me in a different jail, which is such a bummer. Cause now you don't, you got to relearn people and meet new people and, it was nice to know who you could mess with and have jokes with and people you want to stay away from and all that. And it takes time for all that. So I, um, have you ever read Jordan Peterson? No, should I? Oh my gosh. Well, I'll just put it out there for all of the listeners. The uh, 12 rules for life is must read for, especially for young men. But the, the whole first chapter is about hierarchy, how human beings always, um, organize themselves into hierarchies. And so you're de- describing exactly that principle that no matter where you are, even in a county jail, uh, you know, somebody is the big dog and, yeah. uh, and you've got to figure out where you're at in this, uh, in this, uh, you know, hierarchy structure. So I, I get to the place where I had a, kind of established myself, you know, just, you know, I'm, I was fit. I was working out every day and, and that was a normal thing. And, wasn't necessarily mandatory, but we kind of, we had a camaraderie that's hey, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to win the fight if it breaks out. And uh, there was a couple riots and, but we didn't have to really get involved, which was nice. Um, got pepper sprayed, maced and, and um, lots of fights um, for the uh, record. Uh, I lost every fight except for one. So, <laughs> 
I, it's not that I'm not a good fighter. It's just, I, I don't know, man. I couldn't, for some reason, just could not win these fights. Uh, so yeah, don't bet on me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I get out. Okay. So I, my mom was the only one that really visited me when I was in, in jail. And um, she tried to put money on my books one time and it uh, got zapped right away. And I, I called my mom, you know, collect. Hey, mom, okay. that what did you put money in my books? Yeah, I did. I put $50 and I'm like, oh man, they took it. So I, you know, I'm, I'm really discouraged. But um, uh, anyways, the day I get out, uh, funny story, I'm sitting in the, in the processing out cell and there's, there's about four other guys in there and they're all looking at each other and they're like, I, I've been in here since Friday. And then one guy was like, oh, that's nothing. I've been here for 10 days. And he was like, yeah, I got a DUI and this is my second one. And it's just, yeah, I'm probably gonna lose my job. And he's all, you know, kind of stumbling around crying and they're in their street clothes. And I was wearing stripes, pink underwear and pink socks with pink sandals. Yeah. That was an Arpaio uh, signature. Yeah. Which for the record was very nice because I had the very (laughs) best threads because I had been in there the longest of being course, longer than anyone because the maximum sentence for county jail is one year. So to, going back to kind of answer your question on why I didn't do 15 years, uh, they were doing this program for kind of first time felons that if you um, if you didn't have any other felonies, they were giving you these long uh, uh, tales of probation. So I had a seven. I agreed to a seven-year term of probation. And it's the first year was intense probation. So I get my, uh, my paper and signed it. I'm like, let me out. I don't care. And they, uh, I did have to spend about five months in the tent city, which was pretty gnarly. So I, I went through uh, the summer and uh, part of the winter, I guess. And I, they released me on November 4th in uh, twenty. Uh, 2001. So uh, fast forward. Now my, my mom gives me a ride. She picks me up. I, you know, first thing I do is go straight to the store to buy some cigarettes. And I'm excited because, you know, cigarettes in there, I'd spent 30 days in solitary confinement for smoking a cigarette for smoking oh two cigarettes. Gosh. Yeah. So the very uh, strict uh, rules on that. And so I'm like, you know, what? as soon as I get out, smoke a cigarette. And uh, my brother was there. He was all excited that I was out. And uh, mom says, you know what? You could stay with me. Let's fill out the paperwork to say that you use my address and all that. And so we get that probation worked out. And I find a job very quickly at uh, at uh, Pizza Hut. So, okay. So you get, you get out of jail. You're starting to put your life back together. Now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that there is a story about a girl connected with this. Yeah. So uh, the day I got out, I met Aaron. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, 
Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Um, it was, uh, she was going through cosmetology school and her, um, her, I guess it was her best friend at that time said, Hey, I'm going to ditch school. You want to go and, uh, I want to go and say hi to my friend who just got out of, out of jail. She says, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. I'm going to ditch school. Sounds great. Sounds like a real winner. Yeah. Yeah. He sounds like a winner. He's been in jail. And, uh, it's funny because I always tell people, yeah, my wife saw me and she fell in love right away. (laughs) Uh, no, no, that's not the case. Actually. It's funny because I told my friend, her name was Kat. I said, Kat, um, I need you to give me that girl's number. Now I didn't know that Kat actually had the hots for me. I'm just that dumb. And uh, so she told me that uh, Aaron wasn't interested and um, she wasn't going to talk to her about it. And some, I don't remember exactly how it went down, but I got her number and somehow we connected and and, uh, she came a second time with Kat and um, came to visit. (laughs) She must've heard me. She's poking her head in the door right now. <laughs> She's getting interested. I'm I'm on a live podcast, babe. So, um let's let's fast So forward. obviously things worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that part of it She's worked. Bugging you right now. Yes. Uh fitting that she came in right now. So, I um I get I get in an argument with my brother, okay? And and I ended up uh actually beating him up. And this is bad, you know, we're we're fighting over some nonsense. But um, we we get in this argument. I ended up, uh, and I'll just tell you what he did. He he, I was wearing one of his shirts because I had no clothes and I hadn't had enough money to save up yet to buy clothes. And so I was wearing one of his shirts, and he was listening to one of my CDs. And I told him, "Look, I'm going to ride my bike to work. It's a long ride. I need some music. Give me the CD." I had one of those Discman CD players, and uh, he took the disc, threw it on the ground, and stepped on it. And this was the the CD that my wife had gave me. So I was mm. really mad. So anyways, I knocked him out, uh, literally uh, just one punch, boom. And then I picked him up. Yeah, it was sublime. My, my wife just asked me, do you remember what CD it was? <laughs> that so, was a good CD. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, th- I throw uh, my brother actually over this little wall and uh, grandma who owned the house that my mom was living at said that was enough. Uh, he's out of here, kicked me out. And so, uh, I'm, I'm under some pressure now I've got to move out and Aaron, I'm talking around the phone and Aaron talks to her mom and she says, you know what, uh, this guy that I, you know, that I uh, have a friendship with, he needs a place to live. Uh, can you, can you help him? Blah, blah, blah. And she said, yes. And we moved in, I moved in. So I have to fill out my paperwork, my probation officer. It's intense probation. Everything has to be recorded. If you go to the grocery store, you have to write it down on a piece of paper that I'm going to the grocery store at this time. And um, my probation officer comes to the house, knocks on the door, 
and comes uh, with his paper and says, oh, wait a second. And he's got two pieces of paper. And it turns out that Aaron's stepdad had the same probation officer that I was going to have because now I'm in this new area of town. And they right away, he goes, oh, yeah, this can't go. Basically, he uh, tells me, you have one week to go to find a place to live or I'm going to violate your probation. And that that was going to mean I'm going to do seven years in, in prison. And um, he tells me, he gives me some options. He's like, you can go to halfway house. You can uh, find your own apartment, which that wasn't going to happen because of the job situation. I transferred from Pizza Hut to Pizza Hut. And it's funny, the first day I went there, they uh, realized I was a little too crazy and they didn't let me work there. They fired me. Um, and so uh, I, I'm in this pickle and I, I'm really frustrated. And so it's, it's one evening. Uh, I'm, it's a, I would say uh, early September, maybe. Maybe earlier than that. But anyways, I, I'm going to go and commit suicide. Uh, I get in a fight with Aaron. I'm I'm uh, frustrated again with life. I, I the job situation is not working out. I'm, I'm a felon. No one's going to give me a job. In my mind, I'm completely wasted as far as life goes, and I'm just I'm off. I'm I'm off this planet. I'm just done. I'm not going to have these people ruling over me like this. I'm just going to commit suicide. Go to the park, uh, and and this down the street by my house, and I'm I'm going to take my life. And um, you know, m- most of the time growing up, I always had a gun, um, always had some kind of a pistol. And, uh, this was no different. I said, I'm going to take my life. Um, this is, this is the end. And I was sitting in the park with the intention of taking my life. And, um, I, it was just the weirdest thing. It would look like there was two, um, I, it looked like there was two people sitting where I was sitting. There was a sh- two shadows cast on the ground in front of me. And I said, man, if I kill myself right now, cause I was completely sober. If I do this and the Christians are right, I'm going to go to hell. And it just bothered me. I'm like, gosh, man, if hell is real, I'm going to find out right now. And I said this prayer, I said, God, if you're really there, like they say you are, show me a sign. I'll serve you. Oh, man. I'll, I'll go to church. I'll be a goody goody. Show me a sign. And I kind of look, I'm, I'm looking now I'm looking up into the sky and I'm thinking, show me a big shooting star or something, maybe a, I don't know anything. Um, and I felt this kind of like a flushing from the top of my head all the way down through my toes. And uh, I can't really describe exactly what happened, but from that moment, I, there was no way I was going to be able to hurt myself. And I just kind of quietly, very uh, light footed, walked back to the house where I was staying at. Now I have one week to find a place. I did find a job at that time. I, I was working at this call center and um, about a week after, so I'm, I'm down to the deadline. I actually ended up staying with another friend um, before I wasn't going to do a halfway house. I found, I actually was staying with my uh, friend of mine, Matt, who was actually Kat's boyfriend. And um, my probation officer gave me that green light to stay with him. And then that bridge uh, got burnt. And I, I don't remember exactly what happened with that, but couldn't stay there anymore. And so now, I mean, it's bad. I'm down to the wire and um, get a phone call from these apartments. 
And these were apartments. I, I was applying at all kinds of apartments. These particular apartments were very nice. They had a lake in the back, very clean. And um, they, they said originally, they were like, we don't accept felons. We're sorry. And so I, I was like, ah, oh, that's understandable. You have a very nice place here. You don't want to, you know, dirtbag like me living here. I'll, I'll, I'll kick rocks. <laughs> and um, so they called me back and they said, hey, um, Mr. Michaels, we want to talk to you. Um, we have a, a move-in special. And I said, you know what? That, it's funny you say that. I, I would love to move in there. But you guys told me I can't because you're a crime-free community. And the, the lady said, let me talk to my manager really quick. And so she kind of puts me on hold and then she comes back on the phone. She goes, you know, I, I, we, we talked and my manager remembers you guys. And she said, she really liked you guys and we're going to let you move in and we're going to give you the promotion and everything. So you got two months free rent or you could prorate it into your monthly rent and whatever. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Now this is one week. Yeah, this, that kind of thing never happens. Exactly. And, and especially to me, I mean, everything I touched falls, falls apart. Uh, so I, I go there, fill out the paperwork, give them my $25 application fee. And they literally hand me keys and Unbelievable. I go to these, this apartment is mine. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I got a, a full month to kind of figure things out. And, and I'm just, this is, we had nothing. We had this stinky couch that smelled like cigarettes. And then I didn't even have a bed. We just had blankets on the ground. I had a, a box in the corner with a uh, with my alarm clock on it and uh, very little belongings. And uh, that's where we started our, our life. Now, what's crazy, and this is the kicker, uh, I think it was the, the second or the third night, my next door neighbors were being pretty loud. And I'm like, gosh, man, it's like 10 o'clock at night, 1030 maybe. And they're still just laughing and talking and kids are going outside every once in a while and running back in. And and yeah, Aaron just said, and they were looking through our window. Um, I'm, I'm taking out the trash. Again, it's, it's later in the evening. I throw out the trash. You turn around and there's this guy standing there and he's throwing out the trash. And he tells me, he goes, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm your next door neighbor. And I was in my mind, I was kind of like, Oh, you sucker. Oh, yeah, the noisy one. Yeah. You're the, yeah, you're the noisy one. Um, and he, he said, I, he, first he, he said, um, nice to meet you. I'm your next door neighbor. And within a couple sentences, he's like, Hey, uh, youngster, how's your heart with God? And this guy's, you know, I could tell he's a gangbanger back in the day. He's covered with tattoos. You can just tell by his voice, he's Hispanic, Hispanic guy. And, uh, he tells me, he goes, have you ever said a sinner's prayer? And I'm like, yeah, he's prayed before court. Uh, I would, I would pray, Every once in a while when we were, you know, when I thought we were going to get, you know, uh, in trouble for stuff in jail. And, uh, and, and I said, you know, I don't know that I've ever said a sinner's prayer. And he goes, he goes, Kent, would you like to say that prayer? He and, just went straight for it. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I probably need to. And in that moment, I remembered that I, one week before I had prayed, God, if you're real, show me a sign. And now all of this, and now this guy's preaching to me and he's literally my next door neighbor and he's a pastor. So, uh, in that moment, you know, I said the prayer with him and literally I felt like God bowed the heavens right then and said, Hey, uh, you asked for a sign. Is that good enough? <laughs> yeah. And I, 
I wish that I could say it was the rest was uh, you know rainbows and Candyland, but I dodged him until I was off of intense probation, and so that was probably three months, something like that. I I can't remember my timeline's kind of jacked up, but uh, anyways, he he was like the day I came home from my probation officer signing my paper to to just put me on regular uh, devil person probation instead of <laughs> you know highly volatile dangerous probation uh he i came walking in my house and he's like hey he's like uh how's it going are you still on probation i was like funny you ask because i got off probation today so my i'm on regular probation now i can have free time to go to church and he goes cool let's go to church tomorrow morning for prayer and i was like no nah, i'm cool on that but i'll come with you on sunday and so uh i went to church and I, I heard some preaching and I literally thought that my wife had told the pastor something about my life. And uh, it was Pastor Ortiz was preaching. And I remember just thinking, man, this is crazy. This guy's like literally reading my mail. Um, and at the end of the service, he asked me if I would accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And, and uh, if, I, if I was moved and I, I raised my hand and I, I responded to, the, to that feeling that uh, god was paying attention and uh the rest is history man i've i literally from that moment so that was september 26 2001 i was shook to the core man i couldn't deny that god was real and uh for the next few years i mean i didn't really or i would say for the next year at least i don't really know scriptures but i would just tell every person that i knew i, I mean anybody i'd come across god is real god is real you, you don't know, maybe you don't understand. God is real. You need to come to church with me. You need to go mm. to this church. And I always had flyers and just, um, they might try to argue scriptures. And I was just like, look, I, I don't even care about that. Look, you just need to come to church. I'm serious. God is real. What you're talking about is something else. I'm talking about God. He is really real. And um, kind of pushed all my friends away and the people that I, um, you know, if you didn't come to church, that was it. I, I was cutting you off. It was just that real, you know, I didn't want nothing to do with sin. I didn't want any chance of messing this up. And, uh, what, what about your family? How did they react to this radical? Yeah. Aaron got saved, uh, on the same service. I got saved. I'm pretty sure. Oh, is that what it was a sermon called father to the fathers? Wow. She remembers the sermon. That's a good thing. You got her around to remember some of these details. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need those details for the book, babe. Mm. So if, mm, if, mm, if, mm. if this girl was willing to move in with you yeah. when you had nothing, yeah, yeah. Uh, this must be a pretty special girl. It's, it's actual love. Yeah. She's, she's literally <laughs> obsessed with me. <laughs> Still. She gave me the death eye. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, you know, Poor Bernardo, uh, Bernardo Martinez, he was a pastor in Phoenix. And just before he got sent out, uh, he was, you know, my next door neighbor. And I had questions, you know, I want to know, how did Peter walk on water? Uh, I, I got the, the hard questions, you know, so I would come home from work sometimes and I'd just throw my bag in the house and I'd go over to his house and just pick his brain, talk about oh, man. everything that we could talk about with the Bible and just hours and hours drinking coffee, staying up way too late and finding out the mysteries of God. And, you know, Chandler is just fast paced. There's stuff going on every night. There's discipleship to be had at every corner. And I could not 
be involved enough. We were at one point driving the van, leader of uh, the follow-up ministry. We're uh, taking impact teams. I'm picking people up uh, for church every service, uh, taking the evangelists out, became the door director at one point, um, and then launched out into uh, ministry five years in in uh, Chandler and is that all it was it's only five years yeah five years in Chandler it yeah. seems like a lot longer than that <laughs> yeah I guess it's technically six years right so we got launched out in 2007 so yeah. w- when did you know that you were called to be a pastor uh let's see there was a service where pastor Campbell was preaching and uh he preached a sermon on vision. And at the end of the service, while we're all at the altar, he said, if you, uh, if you are called to preach, raise your hand. And I, and, and in my mind, I was like, I don't think I'm called to preach. I don't think I'm qualified to preach, but I, I knew that there was some other crazies in the church that were already pastoring. So I knew that there was, there was some hope, but in my mind, I wasn't necessarily convinced that that it was me that I was the man to preach, and um, but I I felt like God confirmed it with me right in that very moment while I was kind of arguing in within myself about whether or not that I could do this, and I f- I felt uh, the hand of God, if I can describe it that way, just like this uh, kind of like a comforting hand. Uh, over my entire back, the back of my head, back of my neck, back of my 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 body, like a physical encounter with God at the altar, and it was almost like God was just confirming, I'm, "I've called you to preach." And I raised my hand, and when I raised my hand, it was, it was like I stuck my finger in a light socket, and so it was like a confirmation that God wants me to do something with with this testimony and with what He's doing, and. Uh, yeah, man, it was, it was intense. Uh, I, I, I'm not the most polished uh, guy or polished preacher. I, 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 I probably need to, uh, to clean up some stuff maybe when I get old. Um, but um, I really feel like God has, is, uh, is spending my youth in him. So from 21 till now, it's 20, you know, 20 years of, of serving God. And uh, missed very few services. It's it's crazy. Chandler's such an amazing church. Maybe you can describe what it was like for you those those years that you spent being discipled in in Chandler. Like, I know that God was transforming you, but w- what was the direction that you were getting with all of the all all of the atmosphere that's there? Yeah i I would argue that um, the discipleship program is not an an actual program. You can't, it's not a, something that's on paper. There was just a, you know, wherever there was something going on, I would be there. If the church was open, I would be there. If there was a, um, I mean, cleanup, I don't know if you remember um, this little group that we had called Warpath. And we, uh, it was like a a pre morning discipleship class that we would have. So if, if we had cleanup at eight, more path was at seven. And then, uh, you know, after eight o'clock clean up, then it would be nine o'clock, um, uh, prayer and then 10 o'clock Sunday school and 11 o'clock service. 
and then follow up at 4.30 or 5, and then 5.30 prayer and service started at 6.30. There was just, it was like nonstop. Having people at your house, um, you know, inviting any person that moved to uh, to whatever was going on, revivals nonstop. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it was just, and if you if you were late to something, you had five or six disciples, you know, yanking your chain and messing with you and there was like a camaraderie and and uh an excitement about what was going to happen in the service and yeah it, it was it is exactly what i needed uh i prayed a prayer not long after i got saved or or maybe it was in jail i prayed this prayer and i said god make me so busy that i don't have time to get in trouble and so that sounds you it sounds like you got saved in the perfect fellowship for yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh specifically in the Chandler Church cuz it is a machine. But yeah, yeah that, it's it's incredible every time we go back there just to to get back into that atmosphere, you know. I I pray God give us a 50% of that atmosphere in our church, you know. We'll, we'll we'll make a difference in our city. Yeah. No doubt. Is uh is Erin still sitting there? Yeah. Why don't you bring her close to the microphone? I'd like to ask her a question or two. Come here, babe. They want to ask you some questions. Hey, Adam. Hey, Erin. <clears throat> Thanks for joining us. You're um, welcome. <laughs> so this is this is the first time that I, <clears throat> I, I brought a female voice onto this uh, this testimony Tuesday. So welcome. We're glad Thank that you. you're part of this. I'm just curious, what what was your perspective watching this guy change in such a radical way? Well, I only heard the stories about like everything that happened before because I met him when he got out of jail. So I just heard about all the stories, you know, of everything that he went through and everything he did. <clears throat> but um, hearing it and seeing him change into the person who he is now obviously was i mean on all different levels of crazy <laughs> because well, it, i mean like seeing okay so when i first met him obviously he wasn't saved i wasn't saved and he still had like a little bit of the edge to him and stuff so I mean, going from that to being saved and still like, just, you know, you're working through the kinks of everything, you know? And, um, yeah, but. Now you also had, uh, an experience with God too. You must've. Right. What was that like? Both of you having this newfound faith? Well, um, for me, I mean, my thing was probably a lot different, uh, I grew up without a father. Um, well, between my mother and my father, there's been eight marriages. My mom's been married three times. My dad's been married five times. And so with each stepfather that was coming in, there was always some kind of addiction or, you know, if it wasn't drugs, it was alcohol or like, you know, verbal abuse, mental abuse, all that. And so I was, I left when I was 17 um, <clears throat> I ran away from home. And so I moved to Seattle. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> I, ever since we left conference, my voice has been like hoarse. <laughs> so I'm like trying to get used to our weather here. Um, but like I had, uh, I ran away and I, I didn't want to be like my mom. I didn't want to be like my dad. And, um, 
you know, I was just trying to figure out life, I guess you could say. And uh, my mom, you know, after a couple of years, I ended up moving back to the Tri-Cities and she met somebody in Arizona and that's where I met Rob. So, well, we were talking about this earlier, but for you to move into an apartment with Rob, Mm -hmm. you know, he was just out of jail and had nothing and just off of probation. Like you must've saw something in him. Yeah. I guess it was just like, you know, when you're just, I guess I was just tired of my old ways and the, that like uh, <clears throat> club lifestyle, you know, and I just wanted to settle down and I wanted just to, to kind of just do things right. I mean, obviously, you know, I had Saley at a young age. Saley was five when <clears throat> him and I both started, you know, dating and stuff. So I just wanted to do things right and try to be a good example for her, but not knowing exactly which direction to go to go. And um, when we met Bernardo and we started going to church, it's like everything started falling into place. So, yeah. Wow. So you got to you got to tell me about this. Um, I think it was a half <laughs> half size motor scooter that I always saw you running around town. on. <laughs> yes. Because because Rob he couldn't get a driver's license, so right. he couldn't drive a car. Right. So <laughs> so how did the, the it was like a it was like one of those clown size motorcycles <laughs> from the circus. <laughs> yes. I still have it. He does, and the boys try to get on it all the time. <clears throat> I think there's there's going to be like a a DVD in heaven of you riding that thing up to the church. <laughs> Every time I was with Taya or Wendy, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's Rob. Hurry, run. <laughs> what is he on? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just keep on going. <laughs> oh, it's classic. Oh my gosh. So, I didn't have my license. I didn't. I didn't get my license until I was very old in life. <laughs> I drove illegally and then we didn't have a car. So <clears throat> yeah. All right. So give give hope to people right now who feel like maybe like you would have at the time, uh, unqualified, somebody who um, maybe has a past that is in their mind shameful, but look at you guys, look at you, what God has done in your life and now been in the ministry for what, 15 years? 20. And 20, yeah. And and, uh, so give hope to somebody uh, who's maybe in the middle of some some things that they don't think they're going to make it through. Basically, I would, I would say that, you know, miracles do come true. I mean, I literally didn't know God and I was headed totally in the wrong path until I got saved. And I never, ever thought that I would get saved. You know, I never thought I used to make fun of Christians because I, I would be like, oh, look at them. They think they're so perfect. But then when I became, when I understood and, you know, and I guess there was just like a glimpse of hope and uh, I just, I wanted to find some kind of decency and I and that was like the bare minimal and so when all these things just started unraveling and uh, I mean I never thought that I'd become like a pastor's wife I never thought that we would have the opportunity to go anywhere I mean even just like sanity you know and and my daughter she's serving God today and so it's just like don't give up you know especially for like new converts people who just like oh man this is too hard but it's it's not it's really not. If you completely surrender and give your life to Jesus, 
yes, there's going to be, you know, no one's life is perfect. You know, there's going to be bumps in the road and stuff, you know, but it's, it's, it's worth the fight and it's worth the long run if you don't give up. So see, see, now you're glad you jumped on the microphone here. And so are we. Thanks. So, so Rob, describe the how, how it was that you decided to uh, to go to San Diego to pioneer, and tell us a little bit about the journey along, through the years. So I'm I'm pretty um, at this point in my salvation. I'm pretty confident in in the fellowship, um, how the fellowship operates, and and I'm in my mind. I'm thinking, you know, what would be cool is if I could just take over a church. Is pioneering from ground zero is probably going to be a pain in the butt. Let's see if we can just uh, maybe get a church, you know? So I tell pastor, this is within a a week before conference. And he's like, you know, uh, where do you want to go, Rob? And I said, well, I'm available for wherever the need is, implying that, uh, you know, if you have a church that you want me to take over, uh, that's what I'll do. And he goes, okay, well, there's no need. Where do you want to go? And Josh (laughs) and, uh, J. Rell were here in San Diego pioneering for one year already. And so I said, well, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. Just chat. We'll go check it out. And I remember talking to Josh. I'm like, I don't know where I should go. And he's like, dude, you should come to San Diego. It's wide open. And so I said, all right, we'll check it out. I set, I set up the, um, the scout, the land trip where I took a weekend off and I, uh, or maybe like a Thursday, Friday, Stayed at Josh's, got a rental truck, and I drove around San Diego trying to find uh, the location of where I was going to pioneer and just kind of be sensitive to God. And uh, actually, Mark Tozer was familiar with the area. And that same weekend, he was actually down here. And uh, I think he was actually, he had actually come down literally just to help me scout the land. And um, I rode with him in, the, in that rental truck and we drove all the way up and down the coast and he told me a little bit about each city and what it meant. And the, the area that really stood out to me was this area called uh, Sarah Mesa. And um, so I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to go down, but the, uh, the day before I got to ride with Mark, I actually went straight to Sarah Mesa by accident. And I was driving around there. Was, I was like, Wow. I was telling my wife on the phone, I'm like, babe, there is buildings, there's apartments for days. They're everywhere. And it's all very stacked on each other. I said, there's just hundreds of thousands of people in this little area. And, um, I felt like that's where God wanted us pioneer. And, uh, so we, we do that. I tell pastor what the plan is. We get launched out. Uh, like I said, in the beginning of the show, um, we were waiting for my son to be born. And before we could leave. And so it was maybe a few months after conference and then we were on our way. And, uh, and the, the year was 2006. Was that right? Uh, 2006. Yeah, that's right. 2006. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, you, uh, you, now you've been there for 15 years. Tell me a little bit about what God has done. So uh, 15 years, we uh, at one point, the the church was in our living room of our apartment complex. And so we were just literally handing out these little Bible study uh, invites. And it was just a white piece of paper. It said the door Christian center. And it was like a uh, come, come to service. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we'd have church in our living room. And we packed out the house one, one 
service. It was a Sunday morning and there was like 20 people, like literally in my living room. And I thought uh, after service, when we walked out, I thought it was going to collapse the uh, upstairs balcony. And I'm like, we got to do something. I called Pastor Campbell and I'm like, hey, Pastor, we got a lot of people uh, coming to the church. We need a building. And um, I think we're ready to to pull the trigger on a building. And uh, he just told me, yeah, call Connie. And uh, they sent a check and we got it rolling. Found a building, something that worked. Uh, very reasonable on the price. And so we pulled the trigger, got into the building, had our grand opening service. All the people that ha- that were coming in the apartments uh, did not come to the building. So we were really excited. We had 20 people. We went to the building. We had like two. <laughs> so we have this grand opening with uh, Pastor um, uh, Mel Bianco. He's in Manila, Philippines now. Uh, so Mel and Alicia were in Fullerton at that time, and he did my grand opening. So we have this grand opening service, and we actually had some visitors, and it was cool. And there was one couple that we knew from the neighborhood, and um, we had a, a man, demon manifestation, and that was pretty crazy. That was my first ministry demon manif- manifestation, and uh, they cast the demons out of me. I mean, oh, no, not me. <laughs> they... uh the guy literally, <clears throat> he comes up and they, they ask, what do you need prayer for? He says, I suffer from demonic oppression. Wow. And we're like, whoa, bro. Like, <laughs> easy. And then he uh, showed everyone that he was demon manifest, full of demons. And so he, he manifests, starts saying things. And so uh, Mel Bianco yells out, uh, shut up in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and you could just picture him, you know, he's the guy's actually taller than Mel, which is not saying much, but he, he's looking up at him with his finger telling him, shut up in the name of Jesus. And uh, he, he's first thing he says, what is your name? And the, the, this is when the guy, you know, is back to normal. He says, uh, uh, Peter, he's all right, Peter, do you want to be delivered? And he's like, yes, say these words, the blood of Jesus. And he couldn't say the blood of Jesus because it was a demon. And he would try to say it. And, and then he would lead him in a prayer where he would repeat everything. And then it would get to the part where he would say the blood of Jesus. And he wouldn't say it. And then he would manifest again. So we did that like, I don't know, five or six times. And it was just that demon did not come out. And uh, we we felt like we had lost the victory. Uh, fast forward maybe two or three months. Uh, we get uh, two couples that are fruitful um, and then fast forward again, and we're at like 60 people in our church, just cranking. Crazy, yeah. yeah. The the song service was boom, and we moved into a bigger building. And that was not by uh, choice, but they just moved us, manually moved us into another building because they wanted to rent the suite that we were into, the people that were directly next door. And they just kind of moved and merged, created a door in between and took over our suite, which is cool because we got to move into a really nice big suite. And uh, keep the same rent. And um, so we're probably may, I would say five or six years in and, and uh, you know, really cranking. And we had our first church split um, over uh, some nonsense, uh, women preaching. And um, the, the girl told me she wanted to preach. Her husband was uh, being kind of brainwashed. It was witchcraft, crazy stuff. I want to get too too far into it, but, um, split the church. They, they pulled out like four couples and, um, 
we f- we felt the the kind of weight of that and the frustration of that and and um about uh i guess it was th- three years ago uh i felt god whisper a city into my heart and it's here in in san diego county but it's a different area so i prayed about it fasted about it called pastor campbell and said hey i, I feel like god's wanting us to shift gears um the building that we were in, we were literally the week of conference. I was at conference and I get the text message and it's from the landlord. And he says, Hey, uh, you have to move out. We're sorry. We're, we're uh, terminating the lease. You have to go. And they were, the reason why is because they were putting a marijuana dispensary in our building. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. This has to be California. Can't compete. Yeah. It's definitely California. And so um, I moved to uh, uh, Santee. California and Santee is uh, 15 minutes away. It was actually closer for most people to come to church. And um, we, we found a building pretty quickly and um, we found a house that we were able to actually buy. We had been renting up until that point. So that conference um, one week before conference, I got a phone call from the people we were renting from our house and they told us you have to move. They kicked us out. And then I was, so I was homeless and churchless at conference. And uh, I probably should have just said, okay, launch me overseas somewhere. But (laughs) um, I felt, I felt God spoke to me to put the church in Santee. And so we shifted gears and we went to Santee and uh, God is moving. Uh, We have been, we packed out our little building and uh, this last couple services, there's been a standing room only. And uh, we have a new building. We, um, we've been in the remodel. This is why this episode was recorded now and not uh, a couple weeks ago, because I've been literally just working on the church every day. As soon as I get home from work, go straight to the church and work on the church. It's almost done. Got carpet in. Uh, I was, before I got on here with you guys, um, I was putting carpet down or preparing carpet for the last room. So we're almost there. And uh, once I put the air conditioner on, then we're good to go. It was a, the many but it's hats a that pastors wear, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so San, Santee it, mm-hmm. uh, is kind of up in the hills, right? Uh, you can argue it's in a valley, but uh, yeah, it's surrounded by hills. It's really nice. Uh, Santee, yeah, I, I drove. I drove through there last time uh, when I went out to visit uh, John Dumas, who lives kind of in that area, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, John Dumas. I love that guy. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. And so it sounds like God's on the move. God is on the move. Yeah, we need this building because um, there's people are not going to stick around being that packed. It's a it's a good thing. So we're we're uh, I think our last service was like thirty people, and uh, our building's very small, the one that we're currently in. But the new building is uh, two thousand and four hundred square feet, so twenty four hundred sanctuary it's got its own prayer room uh, its own kitchen i have an office now can you believe that amazing really, really amazing. nice yeah so you've uh you've come a long way from the early days yes yes god has blessed me greatly and to what would you uh to what would you ascribe the incredible transformation that god has done in your life yeah just uh being willing uh to to accept jesus and uh, accept his word for what it is there's no uh there's no strings attached i was crazy and gave a hundred percent to crack cocaine and the world and partying uh why couldn't i give uh, god a hundred percent of myself 
right? And uh, I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but I just said yes. And so uh, you want to sign up for a wild ride uh, uh, of of what you were wired to do, give your life to Jesus. Uh, Amen. We were literally created for this. So speaking of wild rides, you also have an interesting hobby that our listeners should probably know about. You should, oh, dear. You should, you should, you should inform us uh, between church services and uh, working hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I haven't been able to do it for a few months now. I'm starting to um, need my fix. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I started paragliding. We're uh, three years in now. Four years? Yeah, four years. Have I been paragliding four years? Wow, yeah. The wife just confirmed. Okay. For th- for those who have no idea, what is a paraglide? Okay, so paragliding is uh, it's a parachute that is designed to keep you in the air. Uh, it's designed with a different profile than a normal parachute. So you jump out of the airplane. <clears throat> excuse me, jump out of an airplane and and uh, you're in the army. Typically, you have a round parachute, and you uh, you just kind of land wherever that thing takes you. Um, then you have a parasail where you, this is what most people think I do, where you're tied to a string and you're pulled by a boat over the ocean. And uh, that's not what I'm doing, but it's, that's closer to what I'm, what I have. And um, the profile of the wing is created in such a way that you can stay aloft for uh, a ratio of uh, around eight to one glide ratio. So if you can imagine, you run off the hill, there's no wind, no, no updraft or anything, you'll glide uh, eight to one. It's, it's pretty cool. And so what you do is you literally, you have an aircraft in your backpack, you hike up a mountain, and then you pull that, um, it's a, you know, bed sheet on strings, and you yank that thing out of the bag, and you strap yourself in, and then you uh, run off the cliff into the air and then you use the updrafts which are called thermals and um you talk about it just in just the insane i've been really really fascinated with flying all my life and i i will eventually get my private pilot's license um it's just a a matter of time but um i'm uh i feel like i'm a bird so i hike up the hill and go my my backyard is a a mountain preserve and i that's my flying playground and uh when there's not so many things going on all at once i can go and fly it sounds amazing and uh it's it's uh something that i would like to try before i die someday yeah let's go i'll (laughs) I'll push you off the hill it's Um, really fun okay yeah you in the beginning you're gonna need a push <laughs> so so that's like your initiation yeah well my actually my kids they now that i'm good at it they'll ask me dad can i push you off all right go ahead pull the wing up and they'll shove me yeah both the both the boys have actually flown now Taven did a pretty good flight so this is uh more than just a hobby for you because you have some what of a following on a YouTube channel too, right? Yes, you know um, now I have about three thousand subscribers. <laughs> well, if if anybody is interested in hearing what crazy things you have to say, why don't you uh, give them the pitch? Yeah, uh, it's uh, I, I haven't been making videos lately, but uh, there's some stuff on YouTube. It's uh, if you just look up Robert Michaels. And uh, type in the word paragliding somewhere in there, and you'll you'll see me. I'll pop up right right there on the front. And the the reason why I have that 
is not for good reasons. Uh, there was a video where I almost died. And so that uh, became a viral video. And that's why I have so many subscribers. Pretty funny. So you, you, you became famous for almost dying again. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll be happy to include a link in the show notes if people are curious about that. I know I was curious when I heard about it, so I had to go check it out. Yeah, yep, it's pretty well, uh, pretty cool thing. Well, we better bring this thing in for a landing before uh, we bore our listeners to death. Yes, if you but, if you uh, made it this long, I'm I'm really proud of you. <laughs> there's a, there's a few crazy ones, but uh, <laughs> for the most part. Um, you know, pe- people. What we've what we've seen is that um, you know we have we have paying subscribers who are going to listen to the end of this most likely. So get your money's worth. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely, uh, that's yeah. how I roll. <laughs> well, Rob, I want to uh, thank you again for your time. Um, it's it's just an incredible story. You you've got to have um, you've got to have a wealth of resources that you can pull from when you're encouraging people. Uh, you know, as a pastor. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you in, inviting me on here. And, and uh, uh, yeah. Uh, what's that, babe? Oh, uh, Aaron says thank you, too. Well, thank you for being brave enough to uh, to come on for a few minutes. We appreciate that very much. Yeah. So, yeah, let me know uh, if you, uh, whatever you need from me in, in the future, I'm, I would love to help you. And I, I like your endeavor. It's awesome. Well, we appreciate it, sir. Well, um, for the, for the listeners who are still with us, uh, please uh, check out all of the links we have in the show notes. Um, we want to encourage you share this with somebody. If if you were encouraged by it, then uh, I'm sure it would encourage somebody else. So we thank you for listening and thanks for being a part of Testimony Tuesday. We'll see you again next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.